Welcome to Under the Radar, a show about independent iOS app development. I'm Marco Arment. And I'm David Smith. Under the Radar is never longer than 30 minutes, so let's get started. So as a follow-up, uh, in some ways, to what we were talking about last week with debugging, uh, it seemed only right to this week talk about profiling um, and to talk about sort of that next step beyond just making your app work correctly, which is largely what debugging is focused on, um, and instead to, to make it work um, in, in a performant way, to work not just you know well, but to work, or not just work correctly, but to work well as well. Um, and there's some parts of profiling that are also kind of bug, uh, debugging and profile and digging out kind of more subtle bugs but a lot of what i've when i turn to profiling you know when i'm in xcode you know i can run i can i say i can build and run i can build and test build and profile build and analyze like those are kind of the the core things um before i archive the the build and send it off to itunes connect and profiling tends to come um towards the end of the process and profiling generally in you know in this context is running xcode running your build while attached to instruments on your mac where instruments is this tremendously powerful tool that does way more things than I could possibly really understand. Um, but the things that I do understand it does is just amazing because it can give you insight into what is happening inside your application in a way that um, you can't really measure any other way because it's kind of doing this, it's, it's this interesting combination of measuring external things about your app, but it's doing it in a context where it is aware of your source code and aware of your app in a way that um, can give you great insight into what's going on. Um, and before we do this kind of, there's a whole bunch of areas that we'll dive into for where profiling is really useful. But I will also mention that the one thing I always do before I go into profiling, you know, when I'm at the point in building an app where um, I hit the point where I feel like now I need to start, you know, tuning things down, which is largely what profiling gets into. Like just earlier today, I was dealing with something with a big data import and, you know, I got it working correctly, but the import was taking about a minute. And I was like, you know, mm, let me see if I can make this faster. And so that's when I turned to the profiler and I work to make it faster. Not, you know, it's, it's, it's doesn't, I want to make no changes to its functionality. I just want to make it faster. Um, but the first thing I always do is I also, before I go into profilers, I always run build and analyze. Um, and build and analyze in Xcode is a tool that, you know, is static analysis of your application. So it's looking for kind of, structural problems or issues that you may not be aware of you know like things where you're assigning to a value a value and never reading from it or you know kind of wasted work or structural problems and i will say this is it catches fewer things now than it used to for me um, because i think a lot of this has been rolled into the compiler itself and so i'm being you know as i'm typing out these issues um they're being you know lit up inside inside of my source editor Um, but it's still every now and then it will catch something that is one of these things that it saves saves me a whole bunch of effort in the in the profiling phase, um, you know, just by saying, "Hey, you know, you're doing all this work and then throwing the value away without ever reading from it." Do you actually mean to do that? Um, so always run. At least for me, I always run build and analyze first, um, but then I dive into the profiler, and you know, that's kind of the flow that I find to work pretty well. Yeah, I mean, like there's this whole discussion about like whether you should even be optimizing things before it's really a problem, you know, like the the concept of premature optimization. Um, and I feel like there, there's like, a, you know, as with most things, there's a balance to be struck. I should have like a, a, a bell for when, every time I say that. Um, but there's like, there's a balance to be struck here. And like, you know, the way you did it, in the example you decided was great, which is like, you didn't actually go looking for deep profiling information until there was something about your app that was noticeably slow. 
And that's when you decided, okay, I need to investigate this. I need to find this problem and fix it. That is a very healthy way to do things as opposed to like trying to micro-optimize every little possible step along the way because usually if you try to do that, your code becomes less readable, less obvious, usually more bug-prone, um, and it's also just uh, you know wasted effort a lot of the time. If you're going to you know, go through and micro-optimize something that ends up being such a tiny fraction of usage time that it's not even really worth having optimized. Um, and so that's, you know, step one is like, try to avoid premature optimization. And, you know, it's, it's arguable, like, what counts as premature or, or unnecessary. But um, for the most part, like, if something is going to take a lot of work to make really fast, um, it's a good, it's a good thing to first consider, like, how, how necessary is this? And then to use the profiler to first profile it beforehand and see how how fast or slow it is without any optimization that you you know custom do and then as you try optimization methods profile it and see like is this really helping because if it isn't roll it back or if it's like sometimes you might think you're making something faster you might even be making it slower and so you always have to like not necessarily like if you're a programmer i feel like there's this instinct to make things what you think might be fast and clever and efficient and whatever else. But a lot of times, you know, modern hardware is complicated. And a lot of times things are not what you think they are in, in terms of relative performance. You might think that the like more naive approach is super slow and your and your clever possible optimization is super fast. But if you actually measure it with the profiler, you might find the opposite. You might find that like, oh, it turns out the naive approach is being optimized by the compiler or hardware in a way that ends up making it faster than your custom optimization might be, or at least not substantially slower. Like there was, you know, there's been all sorts of optimizations over time to things like the Objective-C runtime and the compiler and, and the tools and the hardware is so good now that... A lot of things might seem like good candidates for optimization, but they actually aren't. And and only the profiler, running only on the device hardware that you're that you're targeting, uh, can really tell you that a lot of the time. Yeah, and I think too, it's also a good point along those same lines of the importance of doing profiling in a kind of a quantitative approach, which is probably no surprise that that's what I love about profiling. <laughs> wow, um, I'm so surprised. But is I love that you can. And like, I think it's important to look at this thing from a sense of like, this operation is taking, is starting off taking this amount of time or how about, you know, depending on which part of the profile you're working in, you'll have, to, it'll be measured in, you know, seconds or frames per second or whatever it is. And having a number that you're trying to, to move, to affect, um, and be, you know, be mindful about, are you able to make substantial changes to that number? You know, so like in this case that I was working on this morning, like I have an import that's taking a minute to run. So I, you know, 60 seconds is my baseline. And, you know, how can I affect change to that? And the thing that I, I, the trap that I used to fall into a lot with profiling is getting, in getting, feeling like I was making progress as I was like making these little improvements to that, like going from my 60 second target to 57 seconds by introducing some crazy convoluted scheme. And in theory, like if you keep making these lots of these sort of these lots of small chunks into it, in theory, you, you know, you'll end up better. But in general, I think the thing that I found more often is that my app is just worse as a result. Um, that more like what, when profiling works well, I'll start off with a big number 
I'll find a bottleneck. I'll find some issue that if I can alleviate, we'll you know, take that number and drop it in half um, or even better maybe. Um, and if I can't find an optimization that will drop it from, you know, drop it in these big sort of orders of magnitude changes, usually I just say, that's as good as it's going to be. Um, and chasing, I, I stopped, sort of, I avoid the feeling of chasing down all these little micro optimizations um, because almost always they're going to reduce code, re, you know, readability, testability, understandability in the future. Like it's usually going to be uh, something that I will regret. In, you know, my future self will be very mad at my current self for doing. And it's just so much more bug prone too. Like that's, I always have that bite me whenever I do any kind of clever optimization, it always introduces bugs that I didn't anticipate. And I'm working around those bugs forever from that point forward until I get rid of the optimization. Yeah. And so it's like vitally important to make sure that like, is this, if this optimization you're doing has a measurable and dramatic impact, like half, you know, half the time, a tenth of the time, whatever it is, then like, okay, maybe this is this trade-off is worth doing. But if you aren't measuring it, you'll have no way to know if the imp- this, you know, the magnitude of that impact. Because, um, yeah, often I'll go down to a profile, I'll be like, huh, you know, I don't think I can make this any better. And, you know, that's it. And, like, sometimes things are just slow in apps, and that's okay. You know, it's better for it to work correctly and be slow than to, you know, work fast and break. Because um, that's not really working at all. Exactly. And... You know, usually, like I, I like what you said a minute ago. Like, usually, the the correct number of optimizations to do to fix a certain problem is usually between zero and one, <laughs> because yeah. like, like if as you said, like there's like if if you run like a time profiler in instruments and you, and you do the thing in your app that you think is slow, if there's like not one big thing there that's taking up most of the time it's probably not even worth <laughs> doing optimization this way. It's probably instead, like, if this is a problem for your app, it's probably instead worth thinking, like, okay, how can I either avoid doing this at all or how can I do it in a different way where it wouldn't be a problem? And if if you still have to do some kind of massive CPU-intensive work, which I think very few apps do, uh, then then you look into things like, okay, well, let me, like, do this on a background thread and provide, like, a progress UI to the user so that at least, like, if there's no way to make this fast, at least make it nice during use and make it clear what's going on. You know, like that, that's when you get into that kind of thing. But usually that's not what we're dealing with in, in our apps. Usually we're dealing with, you know, more more simple things. And, you know, one example that I that I ran into is that in Overcast, uh, there, you know, there's this collection of podcasts and episodes and everything. And there's a lot of parts of the app that have to reload their data sources or or update their data sources whenever the list of playable podcast episodes changes. Uh, you know, this is like whenever a new episode comes in, or or if the user deletes or completes an episode, uh, or when when a download completes in certain contexts where things can only be downloaded. Um, so like there's there's a few conditions here that where like you know whenever these things change. I, all these different parts of the app need to update themselves on the list of playable items for for whatever reason that they need that list. Um, and this was a very, very heavy operation uh, whenever this would happen because so many parts of the app need that. Things like the long shortcuts, the playable content manager for CarPlay, the, the playlist screen, the list of podcasts within each playlist. Like if any of these things are open, and some of them are always running, like the CarPlay manager, like you you need to know when that changes and so whenever the playable content notification was fired huge amounts of work had to be done in the app and this this can be done in lots of apps like whenever you have like a table view reload data 
you know, like the, this is a, a, a very common thing. Like, oh, the, something in the, in the data source changed. Reload data. That's that's easiest, you know, in in most most of the time than trying to do anything dynamic, and uh, and so it's a pretty common pattern. And what I was finding was that. It, it was kind of behaving slow. The app was kind of behaving slowly, and people were complaining, like on certain phones, like the like older ones, like the iPhone five and whatever else. So I loaded it up, and I, I noticed on this old hardware, yeah, this is really slow. So I profiled it and saw it was all the all these table view reloads and everything from the playable content manager being updated. And so the solution here was just make that update less often because I was it, like I was having it update on every change to the relevant tables in the database, like the episode table every time an episode was updated refresh the playable content but that's things like when the user listens to like a few more seconds of the episode and it saves the progress to disk on how far they've listened well i don't need to update it for that the it, it doesn't matter how, whether they've listened 30 seconds or 35 seconds in so i would i added optimizations for things like okay well don't even fire the playable content change notification unless certain fields have changed that actually matter and I built an architecture in place for like whenever anything is listening for database changes in my FC model uh, database layer class, which is open source if you want to use it, um, although I wouldn't recommend it. But if you do want to use it, go ahead. <laughs> um, there's now things in there which, where like you can say like notify me if only these columns of this table change. And then so like I was able to build these optimizations that have pretty big impacts but are more in the realm of like reducing the amount of work that takes place and reducing the frequency of high needs operations rather than going super low level and trying to make like table view reloads substantially faster all over the app. Yeah. Cause I think then the big point there is it's like more often than not, the great thing that I find in profiling is that like the issue is something understandable. Like it's, it's it, like the optimization should likely be an obvious tractable right. thing. Like you go through the time profiler, which is probably the one that I spend the most time using. And it's like, why am I calling this method 500 times? Oh, that's interesting. It's getting called 500 times a second because it's keyed into some other part of the app that is doing something that, you know, it really doesn't need to be communicating with it. It's like, it's a big obvious change. You're like, huh, that doesn't look right. And it's a very obvious change. Um, and like, those are the things where if you see one of those, it's like, great. You just found like you can make a change that is very low risk. You're not kind of... It's not like, oh, no, I need to, like, dive into Accelerate and do some crazy GPU version of my algorithm to avoid. Like, if that's what you're doing... Oh, like, that is very fun. I mean, that, that might be that might be fun. That's super interesting. And, like... <laughs> See our previous episode on uh, on indulgences. <laughs> yeah. Like, that's really cool if you, if you can, A, do that, and B, if that's, you know, relevant to your application. But in the context of something, like, for most applications, like, that's almost certainly not the answer. Like, the right answer is just finding the method that is being called too many times, you know, where it's like, it's, you have a method that's called outside of an if, where it should be called inside of an if, you know, it's just like, only, you should really only be calling this method at the end, rather than every time you cycle through the loop, or that kind of thing. And anytime you see one of those, you're like, perfect, like, like the profiler just saved me because it was this thing that I wouldn't see otherwise because it's hard to sometimes notice that kind of an issue. But when the profiler says, you call this method, you know, like 98% of the ex execution time of your app is being called in this one method, you're like, huh, well, that's interesting. And it's, you know, it's giving you information that you just wouldn't know any other way. Yeah. 
We are sponsored this week by Linode, fast, powerful web hosting for your projects that you can set up in just seconds. With easy-to-understand tools that let you choose your resources and your Linux distribution, giving you the power and flexibility you need. All this starting at just $5 a month, and that includes right now a Linux server with one gig of RAM in the Linode cloud, and they're always making their deals better as hardware allows. It's, it's pretty awesome being a Linode customer. I mean, we've been Linode customers for years now, and I cannot recommend them enough. They don't, they're not paying me to say this. They're paying me to say the rest of it, but this they cannot pay me to say. I love Linode, I use Linode, and I recommend Linode. Anyway, back to their script. They have over 400,000 customers, including me and David, who are all serviced by their friendly 24-7 support team. You can email them, call them, or even chat over IRC. If you need help, they're there for you. Linode has comprehensive guides also and support documentation to teach you everything you need to know for setting up and managing a Linux virtual server. And their control panel is very nicely designed with a focus on ease of use and simplicity. And believe me, I've seen a lot of web hosting panels over the years. I've never seen one as nice as Linode's. It's not even close. Um, it, you can deploy, boot, resize, and clone nodes in just a few clicks. They have two-factor authentication. It is the full package for your infrastructure needs. So they have awesome pricing options available. You can get a server with one gig of RAM for just five bucks a month, as I said earlier, and it scales all the way up to truly ridiculous resource levels at what I consider to be the best values in the business. Uh, For example, 16 gigs of RAM for just 60 bucks a month. Across the board, they're offering twice the amount of RAM that you get elsewhere most of the time. So as a listener of this show, if you sign up at linode.com slash radar, you'll not only be supporting us, but you also get $20 towards any Linode plan, and they have a seven-day money-back guarantee, so there's nothing to lose. So check out linode.com slash radar. To learn more, sign up and take advantage of that $20 credit. Or you can use promo code RADAR2017 at checkout. Thank you so much to Linode, my favorite web host, for for sponsoring this show and all of RelayFM. So as we wind this up, I think the place that it seems uh, reasonable to go is to dive into a little bit of the the, the actual tools within instruments that we use the most. Um, And I think, uh, for me, the one that I use, like probably 90% of my profiling is the activity monitor which is an instrument that essentially its goal is, I mean, I'm probably definitely oversimplifying it, but essentially it counts the number of times and the amount of time spent on each line of code in your app while the app is running. I believe you're thinking of the time profiler. Yes. Is that not what I said? <laughs> you said activity monitor. It's fine. Common, sure. Common mistake. The time profiler. You can run that one too. Yeah. I think the activity, the activity monitor runs at the same time as the time profiler usually. I think I so. I, I usually just use the built-in Xcode meters for general activity monitoring. Yeah. Anyway, the time profiler the, is the tool that I use the most often, which is, is yeah, it counts the number of you know, the number of times and the duration of the time that is spent in each line of code in your app. And it's a tremendously powerful tool for just yeah finding bottlenecks because it will tell you, you know, what I usually do is you you, you kick that off and running, and then you sit there in your app. You know, I, if it's an operation that you need to that you can do multiple times, you do it multiple times. Um, or if it's a long operation, you kick that off and you can just get this great sense of where, you know, where to go looking for the biggest impacts, where are the biggest bottlenecks? Um, and sometimes, honestly, I've even just run it, um, when I'm finishing a big update, I will just run the time profiler and just use the app generally for, you know, five minutes and then see what the, you know, where the biggest, uh, uses of code are. 
And sometimes you'll just discover things that you, you know, it's not necessarily performance issues, but you're like, huh, that's interesting, you know, looking for inconsistencies or problems. But in general, it's just a very valuable tool to get that sense of, you know, where is, where are the slow parts of my app or where are the parts of the app where there's the biggest bottlenecks or the biggest use of code that is probably worth, you know, double checking that it's, you know, as good as it can be. Right. And it might, not, it might not even be your code. It might be some of Apple's code. Uh, but that's still useful to know, and it still might help you avoid you know, certain unnecessary work. Um, and I, I would also say, like, in general, when you're running the app, use the built-in Xcode meters in, in all parts of development. Like, whenever you run the app, use those meters. Just glance at them, because it, it'll give you an idea of what kind of CPU usage, memory usage, energy usage. It'll give you, it'll, it'll give you an idea of, like, what's normal for your app that way if you make a change you notice that like this is the same way why i love the um the mac app istat menus because i can tell like all the time what my max cpu usage and stuff is so i know what's normal so i can spot easily when something isn't normal right and so it's similar here when making your apps like use the metering and and the tools frequently so that way you have a baseline knowledge of like what's okay so when you mess something up you'll spot it quickly I would also say in instruments, this is a little tip for me on instruments, for some reason, the it's a three-paned uh, interface, kind of like Xcode's three panes, but for some reason, the rightmost pane is off by default, and that makes it really hard to see the value of things like Time Profiler. For a long time, I could not figure this out until I just saw that that pane was off and I turned it on, and it will show you like the line of code that is <laughs> where all the work is happening, but it doesn't do that if you don't turn on the third pane, so... Please turn the third pane on. Um, I would also say that uh, there's also valuable tools in the simulator. Besides just you know, besides the stuff in instruments, just in, in the iOS simulator, you can you can see a lot of potential issues and performance bottlenecks, especially in rendering, in in visual rendering of things. Um, they have modes where they will color in the interface various tint colors or like overlay colors for things like alpha blended layers which are slower to render to screen than opaque layers things like misaligned views where you might have a view on like a a 0.3 pixel boundary instead of instead of a a 1.0 or a 0.5 pixel boundary things like that they're very very helpful in the simulator and this is all like in there's like a debug menu in the simulator and it's all right there like you know color uh, color misaligned layers or whatever like there's use these tools and even if you don't use them every single day i mean i don't think anybody does but but you know use them maybe every major version or every every couple of weeks or every couple of months or whenever you make a big change to the interface or to the way images are handled or things like that because frame rates of your app and and the the resource usage of your app can be dramatically affected by how much blending it's doing or how much off-screen rendering it's having to do and the simulator just makes it so incredibly easy to find these things, to spot these things, and, and then to, to verify that you fix them. Uh, use these tools. I mean, like, I, I am guilty of underusing instruments because instruments is very complicated and can be very uh, intimidating. And so I really only use it to a very shallow level. I mean, like David, my most commonly used one by far is Time Profiler. There's lots of other things it can do. Uh, WBC sessions are usually pretty good about it. If you want to learn more about it, you can look through the archive of, of WBC videos because um, almost every year they do one on, on instruments and advanced debugging and profiling and things like that. So I highly recommend that you check those out uh, because there are there are tools here to do pretty remarkable things and to spot lots of possible 
areas for easy wins in your app. Like, you know, we mentioned earlier, like you shouldn't go through and micro-optimize everything, but usually there's a couple of big things in an app that you can just make make a small change here or there to have a really big impact. That's the kind of optimization that profiling is best at revealing to you, and and that's what's most uh, that's what's the best use of your time to actually work on. Yeah, and I think that's like those are the kinds of things that I mean, I the number of times I've gone to a WBDC session and I will go, you know, same same like I I have some kind of performance issue, then they'll have kind of labs where it makes sense to go and talk to somebody. Like the first thing they always do is they open up instruments and they go into the core animation instrument, which is allows you to turn on all those cool blending color schemes uh, for your app, but on device, you know, so they'll run on your actual iPhone. They'll they'll kick you know sort of they'll kick up start up the app. They'll have the time profiler running, the core animation instrument running with all of those diff- different color keys turned on, and they just use the app. And very quickly they can usually find things like you very quickly see like huh why is the, the entire app you know why is I can't remember what the bad color is it's probably red. Um, it's like if the if the whole app turns red when you scrolling your table view. It's like why are you doing that? Why do you have all of these semi transparent things overlaid on each other? Um, like you're doing all this work that you don't need to be doing, um, or in the you know in the time profiler. Similarly, they can find it, um, and you know and the core animation um, instrument is a great one too for just quantifying your graphical performance, which is really hard to do otherwise. I think um, because it'll tell you the number of frames per second you're getting. You know, are and you know ideally your goal is to be able to do operations at 60 frames a second, um, which is you know the maximum refresh rate of an iPhone. And so if you aren't getting that. You know, you, you can scroll your table view and see what your update rate is. And if it's not 60, then you're like, okay, now I know, you know, I have something to work with rather than just like it feels slow or it feels jerky. Like you can have these these things that aren't really quite as uh, quantifiable. And if it's not quantifiable, it's really hard to you know actually know if you're making progress as you're fixing things. We actually we, we mentioned in passing a, a little while ago the Accelerate framework. And uh, it's this is something that a lot of developers I don't think know about. But and and most developers probably don't need it. But what what the, what this is is basically a collection of pretty low level functions to do bulk operations on vectors on like you know a massive array of floating point numbers or you know matrices, graphics operations, things like that. Um, and most apps will never need this. But if I've never needed it, right? And and I've only, I only needed it when I started working with sound because there's a lot of the functions of working with sound are, are made very very nice in in Accelerate. Um, the, the whole the v, the VDSP section of it is kind of amazing for working with sound. It's it's designed to do that really. Uh, and I would say that if your app is spending a good amount of time doing math of any sort, doing any kind of like math operations on very large numbers of of values so if you're if you're having to like you know add subtract multiply like you know 500 numbers at once for some reason look into the accelerate framework it's it's it looks kind of intimidating at first again there's good wbdc sessions on it and once you figure out the crazy function naming scheme it actually makes sense Uh, so i would strongly recommend if you're spending a meaningful amount of time on math uh, on large numbers of numbers uh, check out Accelerate. It's awesome. Yeah, I've never had to dive into that this myself, but that's just the nature of the apps that I make. Yeah, I mean, it's um, again, it's like it's one of those it's one of those optimizations where like you would probably never like most apps would probably never need it, but 
again, it's like if you see in, in time profiler, oh, this this one function that has to compute the square root of 400 values, like that's that's actually taking a noticeable amount of time because I'm, I'm calling it so often or there's so many values I need to process or whatever else. Like you could fix that with one line of code that might be 10 times faster. Yeah. And I guess the, the last profile that's probably worth mentioning is the allocations and leaks and memory profiling tools that you have in Xcode. And I mean, these have gotten incredibly sophisticated compared oh, yeah. to what they were, um, you know, years ago. You know, I think you can now get these, like, you know, dynamic memory graphs showing you your retain cycles visually. And, like, it's gotten very clever. But, you know, anytime – and this is, I think, what you what, what you're – when you were mentioning earlier, the, you know, in the importance of checking your little build-in debug graphs just within Xcode while you're running. You know, anytime I see – the memory footprint of my app going up over time. Yeah, um, it's a bad sign. Especially, it's like you'll see the it jumps up and then it you know stabilizes and then it jumps up again. It's like uh oh something you know I'm I'm doing something and then never getting rid of that memory. And the profiler is a tremendous tool for being able to be to show you what you're doing wrong. It's like you know here you know you're creating lots of objects and then keeping a reference to them somewhere. Um, that you shouldn't be or something like that usually is, is you know, and, and it's, you kind of get the sense of the different shapes of your memory, you know, structure, like, and you get a sense for like when it's a problem and when it's not, you know, cause sometimes you do need to use more memory and like, that's fine. Um, but you, if you have, you see these, this constantly growing or this stepwise function that just keeps, um, you know, ne- never comes back down to a stable state, it's probably time to open the allocations or the leaks tool, um, and, you know, dig around and see what's wrong. Yeah, and all of this also is like the importance of all of this grows as the amount of time people tend to use your app goes up. Like it, it's really important for me if you're a podcast player because that could be running in the background for hours. So it really has to be stable and performance and memory have to be stable. But if you're making like a utility app that somebody opens up once to like you know convert a unit and then closes and won't use again for three days, it's less important. And you can spend that you can spend this time on on things that are better for your business, you know, rather than, you know, micro-optimizing everything. Anyway, we are out of time this week, so thank you very much for listening, and we'll be back next week with our WWDC wish list predictions, whatever it is. Well, whatever makes sense, we'll do that next week. So thanks, everybody, and we'll talk to you then. Bye.